Welcome to the Smiling at the Future podcast. My name is Christy Rose, and this is my pursuit to glean practical wisdom on femininity, homemaking, finances, relationships, and singleness from the God-fearing men and women in my life. Hope you enjoy this journey with me as we learn to smile at the future. Hey, welcome back. In between listening to podcasts, you may want to listen to music. And so I would like to recommend that you check out the new Spotify playlist that we, and when I say we, I mean my friend Laura and I, have put together. The playlist has some of our favorite worship songs that are uplifting, and in keeping with the theme of this podcast, hopefully we'll put a smile on your face. And she doesn't know that I'm about to say this, but I also included some piano music performed by my sister, Michelle, who is a concert pianist. So I'll be linking that playlist in the show notes for this episode if you want to go take a listen to that. Today, we have Lynn Brown back to chat about loneliness. She'll talk about how loneliness can hit harder during certain times, such as when you're attending weddings and showers, or after a breakup of a relationship, or even just walking the path of singleness that others may not be able to relate with. So please help me welcome back Lynn Brown. Welcome back, Lynn. I love that you're always so willing to jump into these discussions and share what the Lord has taught you during different seasons, including through your journey through singleness. But before we launch into the topic, can you catch us up to speed on where the Lord has you in your life and ministry and just who you are and a little about the podcast that you host? Oh, yes, sure. It's wonderful. Of course, to be back with you, I really have a blast kind of talking about the issue of singleness yet again. It is so near and dear to my heart. And that is because I was single until I was almost 40. So it's such a great topic for me to dive into again and speak about. It is just part of the fabric of my life that I lived as a single woman with the Lord going through that time period. And I really do remember it like it was yesterday, even though I've been married almost 14 years now. So I am on the other side of it, but it is still fresh in my heart and mind. And so ladies, I understand where you are (laughs) in your journey. I am married. I live in Camarillo. I have two adult stepkids who, of course, don't live with us now. They're living their own lives. I've been at Grace Community Church for 23 years. I do women's ministry, teaching, and discipleship. My husband and I are both ACBC certified, meaning that's the Association of Biblical Counselors. We're certified. We do marriage counseling a lot, actually. And so that's what we do. We spend a lot of time doing that and a lot of time just in church and activities and bike riding, which we'll probably do after we're done recording today. And I uh, just, yeah, just love doing study and talking about the Lord and doing ministry. And that's where I am. Oh, and I do a podcast. Thank you. Forgot about that part. (laughs) I also do a podcast. If you're interested in prophecy and you're interested in the eschatological timetable and kind of the current events and things that are happening, my podcast is called Utterly Astounded, and that's taken from Habakkuk, 
one, I think it's one five, and that's just look among the nations and watch and be utterly astounded for the Lord is going to be doing a work. And so I just see kind of what's happening in the world right now. And it's very interesting to me because I think that the rapture is near and hallelujah. Wouldn't we all love that if that even happened today? (laughs) So yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what I do also with my time. Well, the topic today seemed to really strike a chord with a lot of the listeners. We got a lot of people contributing questions to the discussion. So we'll include some of those today. And it's, yeah, it's, it might sound like maybe a sad, melancholy topic to be covering loneliness, but it's so relevant and something that all of us feel. And women are especially, we are so relational. That's just how God wired us. And so I think probably more than men, we can feel, feel lonely at different times, especially during singleness. So before we launch into all the questions at hand, Lynn, do you want to just give some thoughts on the topic in general? Yes, I'd love to. I've been thinking about the subject since we talked about it. And just in general, some thoughts on loneliness first. And I would say foundationally, of course, loneliness is an, uh, an emotion. And I love this dictionary definition. Number two definition says, destitute of sympathetic or friendly companionship. And I thought that sounds like a Victorian England definition, doesn't it though? And there are times in life, of course, when loneliness happens and there's different seasons for that. And we all experience it, I think, in life at one time or another. And some people have more bouts of loneliness in their lives than others, but it is common to man. Most people experience it in their lifetime in some form. So I just want to kind of talk about a few of the different forms that there would be. Let's say, for instance, I think one of the most difficult is widowhood, especially if you've been married for a long time. That's a certain type of loneliness, missing the person you had this relationship with. And I think of the biblical Hannah, a loneliness in her heart for a relationship she didn't have, and that was that of a child. So she had a husband who gave her a double portion because he loved her, I think more than his other wife, but that didn't take the place of that particular loneliness of wanting a child. And the apostle Paul was lonely for fellowship many times. And then you have Jeremiah, who must have been the loneliest man God ever made. I mean, everyone was against him. No one believed his prophecies. He was thinking God had shut him out. I mean, what a desperate position. And then I also noticed this about Jeremiah. In chapter 16, God tells Jeremiah not to take a wife and that he wouldn't have children. And he said, basically, I don't want you to have a family because of the destruction and exile coming to Judah. So there was no comfort for him at all. And so there's those examples. And then feeling lonely, of course, as a single person, there's that particular longing for a relationship in that one area of life, which of course is the most pertinent one to those listening now. But I think one of the greatest treasures of the Christian life is fellowship. And Jesus says that we are to call one another brothers and sisters. So we are family. And that's very different from the world. I think people in the world have a loneliness that's far different because they may have friends, but that is very different than being of the same body 
with the head being Christ. So chances are, if you're listening and you're a Christian, you probably have a full life with family and friends and ministry. It's just that that specific loneliness you have for that certain relationship. And I always think of Jesus as an example. In his humanity, there were so many moments of feeling incredibly lonely. So don't ever forget the comfort of knowing that Christ himself understood and experienced loneliness to its core, to a depth we'll never know. So you can think about him carrying that burden wherever you are in the struggle of loneliness that he is more than capable of carrying you through it. I love John 16, 31 through 33. Jesus answered them, do you now believe indeed the hour is coming? Yes, has now come that you will be scattered each to his own and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the father is with me, which I think is just that lovely connection. And then these things I have spoken to you that in me, you may have peace in the world. You will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He goes on to pray that glorious prayer to God, the father in chapter 17, the high priestly prayer. So it's 17, 20 through 21. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you father are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. So I just love that intimacy and that we are in Christ. That's such an important thing to remember, especially in loneliness. So in a general broad sense of loneliness, thinking those big thoughts of God and reminding yourself that the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit lives in you. You're never alone. I say that to myself, and I used to say that to myself in singleness as well that I'm never alone. I may feel alone, but I'm not alone. The one who hung the moon and commands the winds and the waves has taken up residence in your soul. Emmanuel, God with us. So sometimes we actually just have to remind ourselves and say that to ourselves. Yes. Yeah. Those are such good reminders, Lynn. So one of the questions that we're going to cover today, and I think it's the season for, for this, weddings, showers, things of that nature. I know for myself, that can be when I feel that particular type of loneliness, just the lack of a relationship. How would you just encourage the ladies, kind of pep talk them before they walk into a setting like that? Right. That's a very good question. And I had many of those days. (laughs) So one of the things to remember, I think Psalm 18 30 and 32, it says, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all those who trust in him. It is God who arms me with his strength and makes my way perfect. And Psalm 138.8 says, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the works of your hands. And so the first thing is to remind yourself the day you are facing is in God's perfect providence for you. And he loves you, Christian daughter of the King, as much as the woman for whom you are celebrating, whether it be a shower or a wedding. And you cannot let yourself think otherwise. So pray for specific blessings in the day, 
little ways that God might encourage you. Pray for the bride, the people getting married. That always has a softening effect on your heart, and that shows trust in the Lord. And then practically speaking, you are commanded to rejoice with those who rejoice and be selfless and esteem others. And God doesn't ask us to do things he hasn't given us the ability and power to do. So you can walk into that wedding or that shower with a smile and a heart of joy for those people because God will give you the strength to do it. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to stay until the balloons have deflated. So what I mean is, you know, take a wedding, for instance, the bride and groom are happy you're there. But if you need to leave early, just go. No one is keeping track of how many minutes you stay at the reception. I can tell you that there were specific weddings and receptions that were just a little bit harder maybe than other ones for whatever reason. And nobody remembers that I left somewhat early because it was particularly painful, for instance, and I just needed to get in my car and cry on the way home. Now, I'm not suggesting a pity party. It's just that there was grief in my heart and I needed to cry it out and then ask the Lord to help me through it. And then there you go. And I've, I've said this before, I think on the podcast I had a, and she's still my best friend, Darren, who was also single with me for a 10 year span of time. So in other words, I was 30 when I met her and she was, I think 28 and for 10 years, we were both single. And so we would plan something after, something to look forward to. So if it's an afternoon wedding, you know, plan something with a friend, an evening out, or something really that you like to do the next day, you know, hike, go to the beach, roller skate, whatever it was, we would just say, let's just plan something. I need to have something to look forward to or a little hope in my heart past this particular event. And that we found was always really, really helpful. And look for little ways again, like that the Lord will bless you. And actually I was just talking to Darren this morning and she reminded me of this particular time that I had said to her and I completely forgot about it, but it did happen. And she brought that memory back to me that for whatever reason I was dressed for church. And I said to her, you know what? I just bought this outfit. And I'm telling you, if I don't get a compliment, I'm just going to go home. I'm not even going to go to church. I'm just going to go home. And no sooner did I walk out the door and I was getting into my car that a woman was driving past, stopped, rolled down her window and said, I love that outfit that you're wearing. It looks so cute on you. And, and red is just really your color. And then she rolled up the window and drove away. <laughs> and I thought, Lord, that is so like you. When he does just those little, little tiny things that kind of seem so trivial when I say them, but that he's paying attention to every single thing and, and did that for me. It's a small thing but he did that for me. And so things like that, I would say, look for. And the same thing with holidays. This is his perfect way for you right now. And you might have to remind yourself a lot that that's true. And we would always say, you know, it doesn't mean that next Christmas you won't be married, 
But this Christmas, this is his perfect way for you. And he, he knows you better than you know yourself. That's a really important thing to remember too. And also get busy praising the Lord for how he's planned that holiday for you in your singleness, for instance, because once married, that's a really good skill to have, praising God for something the way it is, even though you want it changed. And this happens in marriage. You have to learn to praise the Lord for things in marriage or things about your husband, let's say, that you don't like or you wish were different. And talking about loneliness and talking about how that's going to translate to marriage, I even wanted to read something from Martha Peace's book, The Excellent Wife, because you will hear some parallels in this. And I'm quoting her. She says, I also feel sad for those who are not alone, but feel overwhelmingly lonely. There are wives who have husbands with them, and yet they are alone. Perhaps their husband is withdrawn, aloof, or hardly ever home. He may be very self-absorbed and inwardly focused. The wife may be bitter and feeling very sorry for herself. Her self-pity may be fueled by an idolatrous desire for intimacy with her husband. Whatever the cause, loneliness is one of the most painful emotions that any of us ever experience. And then she goes on to say, to counter a selfish tendency toward self-pity, a wife must cultivate gratefulness to God and to her husband and learn to be content in her particular circumstances. Telling God thank you, even when you feel lonely and miserable, is an excellent way to begin to give thanks in all things, for Thessalonians 5.18. By an act of your will, think about your particular circumstances. Realize God could remove them from you today. If he does not, he must have some purpose in them for you. So that's even from an excellent wife. So that is someone who is married and feeling incredibly lonely. So you see, there's just that transference. And really, that's my point, is learning to praise the Lord now in circumstances you don't like, because married or single, you need to praise the Lord in those things. Wow. So many good points there, Lynn, and so many helpful tips. I know for myself, when I'm going to a wedding or a shower or something of that nature, God's sovereignty, just meditating on that has helped so much that um, knowing that He is sovereignly in charge of that area of my life. And if I'm still single in those moments and, and on that particular day, you know, that that is God's best for me and just learning to trust Him and trust that and thank Him that, you know, that I can trust Him, that He loves me and He's wise and His timing is perfect. So that helps my heart rest when I'm tempted to be downhearted, um, downcast in those days. All right, question number two. Um, it can be a strong temptation to succumb to self-pity, bitterness, jealousy, even think that maybe my standards are too high. Maybe I need to just you know lower them a little bit. So what are ways that women can fight these sins when dealing with loneliness? Wow. Yes. Great question as always. And those are things we deal with again in every season of life for different reasons. But just going back even to Hannah, I think she's such a good example. 
in 1 Samuel 1.8, it says, Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than 10 sons? And essentially the answer is no, her heart was grieved. And it, this is interesting. The idiom used reflects anger, not sadness in, Anna, in Hannah's heart. So, and you know the story of Hannah. She would be experiencing all those emotions that we could connect to being single because it's a relationship that she longs for. She's got good things going on and things to be grateful for, but also a daily jealousy because the other wife, Peninnah, who provoked her severely. So not only did Hannah have to watch child after child being born to Peninnah, scripture says that Elkanah, the husband, would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and then to all hit her sons and daughters. So that means that she had, Penina had at least four kids because sons and daughters is plural. So Hannah had to watch daily Penina interact with her passel of children and she just wants one. Penina is nasty to Hannah on top of it. So there's this daily struggle without relief, really. And Hannah is just in anguish over it. And in 1 Samuel 1.10, it says, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. And I just think Hannah is a good mirror of emotions in relation to yearning for a certain kind of relationship that God has not granted yet. So I always liked that in not feeling so alone when I could read a story like Hannah and say, of course, there are other biblical characters who understand the feeling inside of my own heart. And so as the Lord understands what's going on in my own heart. So of course we need to cultivate that contentment and being content, of course, being settled and at peace with what you have and what your circumstances are and submitting and taking pleasure in what God has for you. That kind of goes back again to his way is perfect. His way is perfect for me and for you in every circumstance and being joyfully content in what he has ordained for me. And I might've said this before, but practicing contentment as a single person can be easier than trying to be content in a struggling marriage because you have to deal with some very, very hard and difficult things if it's a struggling marriage. So we also know that that grumbling discontented spirit is worse than the affliction you're grumbling about. So we have to think of it that way too, because the Lord is not happy about a discontent grumbling spirit because that's rejecting of his sovereignty and his goodness and his glory. And most of us, I think when we think about this, we have to kind of uh, drill down there and see that the root of it is we really do believe we have a right to certain things. Like I have a right to be respected or appreciated or to have fun or to have good health or to be successful, to be free of difficulties, to be married, because that's what happens. That anger springs up in us when we don't have that. And so it's important to acknowledge that all of our rights as a Christian belong to God. You just need to trust him to take care of what is his and you are his. So dedicate them to him on a regular basis. I am his, my life is in him. I am a living sacrifice. These are the truths we know, but it's where the rubber meets the road when we need to act like we really believe them, right? So we know that our unmet wants and desires can produce self-pity 
and bitterness, and that can happen in marriage as well. So we can covet what we do not have. And so we have to ask, do we really crave God's kingdom or ours? And we know we've heard this a million times. I heard it a million times when I was single. The problem is not wanting to be married. That's good. It's wanting to be married so badly it leads to sinning and distrusting God. And essentially, it always comes down to God hasn't done what we want him to do. So in essence, we are accusing him of wrongdoing, which is very dangerous. And it's not, he's not doing something in the timing that we think he should be doing it in. And so when God doesn't answer our prayers that way, we think that he should be. And so we're judging him and we're passing judgment on what he has done for us or not done for us. And there's a lot, a lot of examples in scripture of anger against God. And it's always wrong because God is always right. And we have a finite fallen mind and we never understand the whole picture, never, but God does. And then with jealousy and comparison, we can definitely do that. I'll never forget, I was at this fellowship dinner uh, this one time, and Darren was there too. We were both there. And I think we were probably about 36, 37 at the time. And I don't know, maybe there was a group of eight of us or so, and we were sharing our stories of how we got saved and came to know the love of God, and it was just terrific. And there was a new woman there. She was probably maybe a little younger than us, maybe 33, 34, and she had just gotten saved. So she was about six months old in the faith. And when you're in a group like that and you're all kind of the same age and you're single and everybody is talking about how they would like not to be single and you wonder if anyone is currently edging toward not being single, well, the new girl was edging toward not being single. So I'm sitting there with this piece of chocolate cake in my lap and I'm listening to the new girl tell us that she met someone in a coffee shop who noticed that she was reading her Bible. And not only was the young man a Christian, but in a remarkable stroke of sovereign ingenuity, he also attended our church. So they had struck up a friendship. Well, it was more than a friendship. And she was saying, well, it could be something. It might be something. It was definitely something because they were married within the year. But I was sitting there and I was thinking, you know, I've read my Bible in plenty of public places and this is true, true story. All I've ever gotten was a few empty stairs, a smirk or two, and a debate about reincarnation with a man wearing bike shorts and a fedora. That's what I got when I read my Bible in public places. And the host said, oh, that's wonderful. God has someone for everyone. And I was thinking, I'll never forget it. I was thinking, well, he clearly has someone for her, but not for me. And I had been a Christian 16 years by then, not a measly six months. And then what made it worse is that she said, well, I wasn't even really thinking about relationship and getting married. I've just come out of the world and I'm just really getting my sea legs as a Christian. And I'm thinking, okay, so she certainly has not been praying for a husband for the last 16 years. <laughs> so I had to bat down my jealousy and that thinking that God had passed me by and I kept shoveling chocolate cake in my mouth and nodding politely. And that's my answer for everything. Just keep eating the chocolate cake. So 
takes some doing. I mean, you have to take yourself by the hand and instruct your heart on what is true. And you will be on the other side of that. You know, you're going to get there. It just doesn't seem like that in the moment, but you will. You will. So then I love the verse Jeremiah 23, uh, 23 and 24. It says, Am I a a God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God afar off. Can anyone hide himself in secret places so I shall not see him, says the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? And so just that, again, back to the fact that you, you are not alone. God is near at hand. He is not afar off. He fills heaven and earth. And so it's believing God for the best. I say that often as well. It's, it's action and it's work and it's trusting him, doing the hard work of trusting and obeying and eating the cake, eat the cake. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you how many times that I just used food to hide the expression on my face. <laughs> Very uh, practical advice there. Elizabeth Elliot has so much on the topic of loneliness I've recommended her many times on this podcast, but she does have a podcast and she does cover this topic. And she's written a book called The Path of Loneliness that is just excellent. And she covers all different facets of loneliness, you know, whether the death of a spouse, um, a divorce, you know, singleness. But one thing that she brings out often and that's been helpful for me is that. her perspective on loneliness changed and she viewed it as solitude and as a time for prayer, time with the Lord. And she talks a lot about accepting what the Lord has given. So if you're feeling lonely, um, you're in a season of loneliness, accepting that as from the Lord and then offering it back to God as a sacrifice and just saying, okay, Lord, this comes from your hand. I'm, you know, in this season of loneliness but I want to worship you in this moment, even though this is painful. I'm going to offer it back to you as a sacrifice. Show me how how to use this for your glory. And loneliness is not, you know, just a lack of people around you. Um, as as you've already spoken to, you know, women that are lonely in a marriage where the husband's withdrawn or not present, but one thing that single women experience as they get older and their friends enter different seasons of life, they get married, they have children. It's a type of loneliness where you feel like people maybe don't understand what your, you know, your trial is like being single for an extended period of time. And so can you speak to how women can cultivate relationships with their peers who are in a different life season? Yeah. That is a really actually a tough question because it's very true that people gravitate toward others who are in the same season of life. If you're raising small kids, that group is going to travel in the same circles. If you're in the midst of the teenage years, that's something else. You've got couples who don't have kids. They tend to get together because, of course, the things that they do on weekends are a lot different than maybe taking their kids to sports or you've got a 10-year-old. Those are all different seasons. So I think this is a tough question. And 
but I do believe that God is all about relationships. And I do think that he'll provide the necessary connections and relationships you need in every season. It is true that you're going to have friends in your single season when you're in your 30s, probably still, because many people are still kind of getting married, et cetera, in their 30s. But by the time you get to your 40s and 50s, things really do change. So I think about myself, really, and I just think that if it was me in this time period, that I would probably be hyper-involved in church, in activities. I think even if I was working full-time, I would probably be there two or three times a week. I really do. And also initiating activities. It might be up to you to do things like forming a book club or things you like to do. It doesn't have to be in the church. It could be joining a hiking group, you know? Do you like to sail or a cooking class? Just keep living life fully and faithfully where God places you because Everybody ebbs and flows and people will have different seasons all the time. And so I just think it's very, very fluid that way. And if you have good friends that get married, I would say keep close to them still. I mean, when I got married and my friend Darren wasn't married, I so I got married and then she got married two years later. But in that pocket of time, I would invite her over all the time and the three of us would fellowship. So you might need to be really proactive in that. You might need to be inviting your married friends over, invite your pastor and his wife over for dinner. So I would say make your home, even if it's a little apartment, it doesn't matter. Make it a hub of hospitality and do things like, I would even say, look after getting an ACBC certification. If you like counseling, if you really love the word of God and want to apply scripture to your life. There are different churches that you can get that counseling certificate through. You can start that process and that's learning to counsel from scripture. So that is speaking to your own heart first and then pouring into other people because there's always the opportunity to be discipling younger women. So I would say that that is a hard place. That is what my friend Darren would call a hard providence of God. When you are, I don't know, let's say 45, and it seems like everyone else is either married, married with kids, or you know, you're just kind of alone on an island that way. I do think that is a particular hard providence of God, but I think that, like I said, he's also relational, and God is a God of relationships, and you just get face down and pleading with the Lord in those pockets of loneliness and asking him to provide as only he can. And so I really say that with a heart full of um, sympathy, ladies, and tenderness, if you are in that, if you are in that period, because I even think about my friend, Darren, you know, we kind of wondered which one of us is going to get married first in our finer moments when we actually believed God that eventually we would get married because many times we didn't, but um, we just knew that that was going to be an especially hard day when one of us got married and the other one was still single because you do, you feel so alone, like, wow, that's my last person. And some people, you know, just say we have a group of friends and then this last person is getting married. And that leaves maybe this one girl who feels outside of that loop And so you've just got to cling to the Savior. And again, go back to Jesus and his humanity. 
understanding 100% to the depth core that we could never even understand what it is like to be alone and lonely. And he knows that. He knows that. And he will provide for you. And it will look different tomorrow. I mean, like we talk about, his mercies are new every morning. And you have to hold out hope because it doesn't mean, like I would say, it doesn't mean that you are not going to be married by the end of the year. You don't know that. Trust God for that long view and just keep walking by faith and not by sight. Wow. Thank you, Lynn. I just appreciate that you acknowledge that like, yeah, this is difficult. This is hard and not treating it in a trite way, but there are ways you can you can still look forward with hope and use, you know, be proactive, reaching out to people, initiating contact and I loved how you had all those ideas for classes and things. Because I think when you're in a season of loneliness, it can kind of perpetuate. Like if you, you're you lonely in your home, well, well, none of my friends are texting or calling me and you can kind of you know spiral down. But you know, staying proactive and initiating and doing the things that you wish maybe other people were inviting you to. So like, man, I wish more of my friends would do dinners together. And well, why not? you host one and started. And- absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. It could be on you to do that. And so get out your phone and get out your email and plan it. If you want company, plan it and have them come over. And you, like I said, you be a hub of hospitality. And it just sometimes takes that. It just, you, you think maybe they don't want to come over. Maybe they're busy. Well, maybe yes, but maybe not. And maybe they would love to join you on a Friday night. So, you know, you don't know unless you ask. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So how should we think about God's statements about marriage being a good gift and that it's not good to be alone when you're single, desiring marriage and grieving loneliness? This is a great question. And I think that, for instance, faith is a good gift, but people have different measures of it. Suffering is a good gift. Consider yourself blessed to suffer for instance, for the Lord's sake. And I think even about the Levites, they had the gift of the priesthood. Being a priest was a good gift, but it was only given to them. And so think about Ecclesiastes 3.13. It says, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So as Christians, we have that gift, which is the most important one. And then, of course, famously, 1 Corinthians 7.7, for I wish, Paul says, that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that, and of course, marriage or single States, both of them, scripture calls each of them a gift. And then in Ephesians 4 7, it says, But to each of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So, just that general principle that there are different gifts for different people, and God gives each thing out as a measure that He decides. And so, it's a little bit, I was thinking about this parable, the, the parable in Matthew chapter 20, and Christ talks about hiring the workers for labor, and some of them work all day, and some of them only work an hour, and they both get paid the same wages. And that might seem unfair from a human standpoint, but from a divine standpoint, it's totally just because Jesus is likening it 
to no one deserves salvation. Eternal life is a gift. The person who comes to Christ at the last hour gets into heaven just like someone who lived their whole life for Christ and died a martyr. And it's funny because I just read this in John's commentary, John MacArthur's commentary. It says, the Christian who is envious of other Christians for whatever reason not only is unscriptural, but foolish. (laughs) So, because we've been given the greatest gift, how wonderful of God to give it to anyone. And since it's his to give out accordingly, he owns it all. And so there are a lot of good gifts mentioned in scripture, but we don't get them all. And we don't get them all in the same measure. But it doesn't negate the goodness of the gift or that God isn't good because he hasn't given you that gift. So we need to just resist thinking things like that. And in all of it, remember James 1.17, for every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. And I just want to read this from Amy Carmichael. She says, and this is, let's see, I think it's Psalm 27, 9. Oh God, my Savior, overlook me not. And she says this, have you ever felt overlooked? In old days, to obey the God of heaven often meant experiences like that of Jeremiah when he was let down into the dungeon where there was no water. The prisoner was just overlooked. To how many hearts the temptation must have come to feel forsaken of God as well as man. All down the ages, there have been lives full of suffering, such tragedy of suffering that nothing but a miracle of love could have carried them through. To them, the temptation to wonder if God cared must have been tremendous. Thinking of such lives, we are ashamed that we are ever tempted to be downhearted. But we have a father who understands the weakest and most foolish of his children. So scattered through his book, we have little simple prayers like this. O God, my Savior, overlook me not. Do thou for me, O God, the Lord. And I think that's just precious. And I think of that in terms of even the good gift of marriage. Something just so simple. Something pouring out your heart to, O God, overlook me not. I really desire this good gift of marriage that you know. And again, just turning it over to him, but resting in that, resting in that there's so many good gifts and God will give out the measure according to his divine and perfect providence. So not to feel slighted in that way. And that's really my point on that. That's beautifully said. Thank you, Lynn. So feeling lonely, desiring marriage does not mean you're discontent. And I remember on a previous episode, you described, you know, your desire for marriage as kind of feeling like a low-grade fever all the time. It was just there, even though you were living a full and productive life as a single. But God can actually use those feelings of longing to prompt you to change circumstances. Can you speak to this? Like when, when is this, you know, not trying to manipulate circumstances or take the reins, but when is it okay to you know, I guess, make decisions based on that feeling of longing. Right. I think I would do all of those things again that I did when I was single to make myself available. So everyone knew that I wanted to get married and was willing to try if someone had someone in mind for me to date, let's say. 
And I did do blind dates and I was very open to that. We, again, I say we, talking about Darren, we went on the internet. We did internet dating. I was open to that. Just really throwing as many hooks in the water as I could. And I didn't mean that, or I don't want that to sound frivolous. It really wasn't. I did it in a hopeful way. If we believe that God is sovereign over every click on a dating site and every increased heart flutter of desiring to be married, then we would be hopeful and optimistic and put ourselves in those situations. I did where I was likely to meet Christian men my age. And so I really didn't think that that pointed to discontentment. It was just practical, good stuff. If there was an opportunity, I wanted to take it. And so I kind of was thinking about this in terms of, say, you want to become a better cook. What do you do? You read cookbooks, you Google it, you take classes. And so I wouldn't really say, oh, it's sinful that I'm discontent. I'm not a good enough cook. No, I'm okay, but I want to get better. And I'm just going to make steps to make that happen. Go to another Bible study, especially if you're at a small church and you want to branch out and meet men more your age and get a bigger pool of a Christian social circle or event. I would do that. Always keeping in mind that the Lord can bring that man, your husband, out of the woodwork. So never fear that you're going to miss the boat. That is not going to happen. So I liked the activity of doing those things because it was in my realm or sphere of being able to do this much. It's like, I can do this much. I can go to this Bible study. Uh, I can put myself on this dating site. I can let these people know that I am absolutely open to meeting somebody if they come across someone. So, and that to me is never a discontentment. I mean, you'd have to work that out in your own heart if it was, but I did those things just thinking that this was the most practical way to go. Yeah. But our last question today, Lynn, is the loneliness that follows after a breakup of a relationship. So that can be a particular kind of loneliness that you're feeling a void in your life and heart. And I think it's a temptation to try and fill that void with wrong things or or just distractions or you know, a rebound relationship, however you're trying to comfort yourself. So someone who's experiencing that type of a loneliness, um, how would you encourage her? Great question. I think I would start with, don't make the goal just feel better and just get out of this pain. So embrace the trial and remind yourself, this is going to be tough for a while. So make the goal what am I learning? What more can I learn? And if there has been a void that's been created, think more thoughts like maybe God is just creating more space for something. So it's always back to thinking rightly. And then start with the presupposition, God knows me and he knows my heart better than I do. And I think I know what's best, but I don't. And God has decided that this event that has happened Maybe And maybe not the event, because you're thinking about it differently, because it's painful, but that God has decided that there is particular good in this event, and that it's right for you at this time, and that this is His good plan, and He will bring the right thing from it. So it's doing our part, which is submitting to His will, and just being comforted again 
say with 1 Kings 8, 39, then here in heaven, your dwelling place and forgive and act and render to each according to all his ways, whose heart you know, for you alone know the hearts of all the sons of men. And I just love that. I just love that God understands so intimately when we're dealing with something like that. He understands our pain and he will comfort us and he will meet us there. And I think about some of the disappointments and the hardships, again, of the people of scripture, the characters in scripture that we can really glean from. And I was thinking about in Second Kings, the story of the Shumanite woman. And so that was when Elisha says in, this is in verse 13, he said to him, now say to her, this is to the Shemanite woman, behold, you have been careful for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Would you be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the army? And she answered, I live among my own people, which means I'm content. I'm not going to ask you for anything. So he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, truly, she has no son and her husband is old. So she's barren and she wouldn't have an heir, which was incredibly painful and difficult, of course, during those days. And he said, call her. And when he called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, at this season next year, you will embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. Basically, don't give me hope like that, only to crush me in disappointment. And then, of course, we know this story. The woman conceived and bore a son at that season the next year. And then, and Alicia said to her, when the child was grown, well, this is what happens. When the child grew, so I'm not quoting scripture at this moment. When he grew, he died. And then she runs to Alicia When the man of God saw her at a distance, he said to Gehazi, his servant, behold, there is the Shumanite woman. Then she said, did I ask for a son from my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? I mean, you can just hear such incredible pain. Like I didn't even want this to happen. (laughs) I didn't want to go through this. So there's more drama, of course, in the next five or six verses. And finally, the boy is raised to life again in a miracle from God through Elisha. But I just love that story because I think the woman would have thought, this just can't be this way. And why is it happening like this? And why did I have this experience? Like, why did I go through loving someone or, uh, you know, having my hopes so up? And I, this is the one thing I didn't want to happen. And then, and then it did. God decided to do something in an entirely different way. And so there's these really crushing disappointments, I think, in scripture that we can learn a lot from. And I think it's going back to, again, taking that long view, taking that long view. And I was just talking actually to my friend Darren this morning, and she even said that there is such providence in God or of God in every breakup. And she reminded me, she said, aren't you relieved? I know I am so relieved looking back at what the Lord did. And so just pressing into that, pressing into that struggle, into that disappointment, into that sadness, because you will, again, you will get to the other side. She's married, I'm married, but we definitely had our breakups. (laughs) And so looking back again, hindsight and looking back to that is wow, I'm so glad that God came into the middle of that and split it apart. And yet it could have been hard at the time, 
but there was not one instance where we've ever looked back, of course, since we've gotten married, that we didn't say, I'm glad for that. I'm glad for that. That was the right thing. And so, yeah, it was, it was painful at the time, but it's one of those where the Lord is going to bring you through. You're going to get to the other side of that. And just that should keep you going. God is good. He'll bring you through. You'll get to the other side. Wow. Yeah, that's so true. And there's going to be a season of grieving and pain and that's normal, but time helps to heal. And I cannot tell you how many stories I've heard from couples that they talk about how a previous relationship or a breakup is what prepared them well for the person that the Lord had for them. Like they wouldn't appreciate certain qualities or characteristics or things about the person they married if it hadn't been for those previous relationships and the Lord using that. Exactly. Yeah, we talk about that a lot, that not one of them was wasted. God never wastes your time and nothing is ever in vain. So there were those moments and those things that we learned and he's always using that to go on to the next thing where he's growing you and maturing you. And then you're going to respond differently or better or with, with more patience or with more endurance or with more joy in the next thing that's coming down the pike. So it's always, which I love about God, that it's always part of his plan that he is working things out in our sanctification and for his glory. And every single piece of that whole puzzle is really, really important. (laughs) Every single piece of it. And it's that perspective that, like you said, it keeps us hopeful that we don't look at a future relationship like, oh, here we go again, like get ready for heartbreak. But we are hopeful and trust the Lord that whatever He has is for our good. And, you know, we think the best, we hope for the best and know that God will give us the best for us. So. Right, right. Well, Lynn, thank you so much. This was so helpful, so practical to everyday life, to our experiences, and also from how we should be thinking about this from God's perspective and redeeming those moments of loneliness and turning them back to worship for the Lord. So I just so appreciate you sharing you know, your own experiences and how you walked through this and opening up your life to in that way to me and to the listeners. Do you have any parting thoughts you'd like to leave with us? Yes, absolutely. I just wanted to end actually with this, talking once again about Darren. We would write cards of encouragement back and forth to one another during that whole 10 years. And so she was an English teacher. So... <laughs> She's a writer, and so am I. And so I'm going to read one excerpt from a card that she sent me. This was early on. And I tell you, I can't really remember the circumstance of what was around this, but it might have been a date gone wrong, (laughs) something along those lines. And we both love Amy Carmichael, who I actually already quoted in this episode. But she wrote this to me. She said about Psalm 4.1. So Psalm 4.1. So right now she's quoting Amy and then it's going to be her, her words. But she says, Psalm 4.1, thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. And this is kind of when you think about a breakup, especially. Whatever the pressure be in that pressure, think of it as enlargement. 
the very opposite of what the word pressure suggests. And room, plenty of room in a straight place. We may sometimes feel distressed. Here then is a work of pure hope and strong consolation. No distress need cramp us, crowd us into ourselves, make us smaller and poorer in anything that matters. Largeness, like the large of the sea, is his gift to us. We shall not be flattened by pressure, but enlarged in capital letters. And I love that. And she says, I find a great deal of strength in that. I'm quoting Darren now. He not only, God, not only knows our desires, but knows how we will respond each stab of longing and every heavy sigh. We see the pain of the moment. He sees the plan of a lifetime. Our lives so intricately designed and jealously guarded that he won't let even us interfere with his craftsmanship. And I just love that because it was so true and it is so true. And at the time, she just knew that was something that I needed to hear. And so there's probably a listener that needs to hear that same thing. (laughs) So I share that because of that. And so, yeah, I mean, it's just God will enlarge our lives in those spaces and he knows every sigh and he knows the pain of the moment. And we see that pain for just that moment, but he has a plan for our lifetime. And so it's back to, of course, trusting him for the fact that he will perfect that which concerns you in every moment of every day. 